Happy New Year, Living Church. Everybody all awake and alive, feeling good? Man, I'm so excited about 2018. I want to echo what Pastor Tim said last week and Pastor Max just said that 2018 is going to be the best year ever, that we believe God's going to do great, great things this year. And I believe that uh, for you personally, that in your life, in your health, in your marriage, in your finances, that God's going to do great things for you this year. So walk into the year expecting greatness, right? That God wants to be your provider. He wants to be your helper, that he wants to walk through life with you. Uh, the Bible says that if you're planted in the house of the Lord, that you'll flourish. Amen. And that as you're planted in God's house, that he's going to flourish the things in your life. But not only is it going to be a great year for you personally, but man, I believe with everything in me, it's going to be a great year for us corporately, that as a church, we're going to see great things happen this year. Looking back at 2017, so many great things happen. So many people get saved every week here at Living Church. People are giving their hearts to Jesus. Dozens of people baptized. Dozens of people baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amazing things. We've given tens of thousands of dollars to missions and to missionaries and other churches around the area so that they would grow and flourish in ministry. Man, so many good things that God has done, and we're excited. Our church has grown by 25% in the last year. Come on, somebody. That's amazing. I mean, God's been doing great things here at Living Church, but it's not just 2017. 2018 is going to be the best year ever. In 2018, we're going to launch the third service. You look around, first service was packed. This service is full. We've got to make more room for people so they can come in and hear the good news that Jesus has for their life. This year in 2018, we're going to buy land, right? We don't know how. We don't know exactly how it's going to work out, but we believe that God wants to give us a place that we can have generational impact. That So those kids, when they grow up and they're adults, that they can reach people in their generation because of the work that we do today. And we believe that God's going to do some great things this year in 2018 and all this stuff, all the stuff that we've done and all the stuff that we do, you know, we do it with purpose. We don't just do things to do them. We don't just have church just to have church. We don't just preach to preach. We don't just do events because they're fun or worship because it feels good. But we do what we do pursuing our purpose. Everyone say purpose. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 26. It says, I run with purpose in every step and I'm not just shadow boxing. I love that. Paul's saying that he's running with purpose, that he's headed to a destination. He's not just jogging around aimlessly wondering what's going to happen in life, but he's sprinting from destination to destination to accomplish something. And he says he's not just shadow boxing. He's not just throwing punches for no reason. But here at Living Church, when we swing, we're swinging to knock the teeth out of the devil's head, right? Like that we want to make an impact on eternity, that we want to do great things for the kingdom. And I love this in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9 saying that we are running with purpose. Right before Paul says this, uh, in verse 26, he tells us that the race we're running and the fight that we're fighting, we're doing it so that we'll win an eternal prize. You know, if you enter a competition in the world now, you'll get a trophy or a little ribbon. And those things are going to pass away. But that what we do through, the, through reaching people for Christ, it lasts for eternity. That when people accept Christ into their heart, that's an eternal difference for them. That when we give a dollar to a missionary to go and spread the love of Jesus somewhere far from us, that's making an eternal difference. That when you show up and serve in kids and help children know that they are created in God's image and are destined for greatness, that's shaping their eternity. And so all these things we're doing, we're running after making a difference in eternity. And then right after that, right after 26, uh, Paul, he tells us that we have to be careful. He says, don't get disqualified from the race. Don't get disqualified from the, from the fight. He's saying that you have to stay on point. You have to stay focused to pursue things in eternity. Here at Living Church, we say all the time that we're not a cruise ship for Christians. It's not why we exist. 
I love you, but we're not a cruise ship for Christians, but we're a battleship storming the gates of hell, that our goal is to help reach people that are far from God so they would know who he is and how much he loves them, that we would have purpose of reaching people. And in this series, uh, This Is Us, we're talking about who we are. Why do we do what we do? How do we do it? What are we running after? What is our purpose? Our purpose statement, our mission here at Living Church is this, to show the love of Jesus to people who know him and don't know him. That's why we do what we do, to show the love of Jesus to people who both know him and those who don't know him. So the reason we're doing the things we're doing is because of this. I love that it says to show. You know, showing something is better than saying something. Actions are a lot louder than words. And so as the church, we want to show the love of Jesus to the people around us. That will show up in the community. That will show up into people's lives. And not only tell them about God's love, but show them God's love. That will show love to people that are far and broken and hurting. You know, this is what Jesus did. We learned about it in the answer in our Christmas series. That God stepped out of heaven. He became a baby, Emmanuel, God with us, so that he could be involved in our life, involved in our situation. He showed up for us. As a church, we want to show people that love. We want to show people how good God is. You know, we're the hands and the feet of Christ. And if we're not the ones working and we're not the ones going, nobody else is going to do it. And so we're going to show this world how much Jesus loves them. And then we're going to love like Jesus. We're going to show the love of Jesus. Because just showing our love isn't good enough. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes my love runs out, right? (laughs) I run out of patience. I run out of energy, and so I want to act within my flesh, but we're going to love people with the love of Christ, that we're going to show the love of Jesus, and that's why we do what we do, because Jesus' love does not run out. It is unstoppable. It is uncorruptible. Come on, 11 o'clock. You've got to help me out, right? The love of Jesus is unstoppable, right? His love, it doesn't stop for us, that no matter what we do, no matter what kind of situation we find ourselves in, his love doesn't stop for us. And because his love doesn't stop for us, we're going to our love to keep going for others. That we're going to be a church that shows the love of Jesus. That we're going to be on mission to make a difference. You know, it's not enough to put a great big cross out front if we don't have the love of Jesus in our heart. There's no reason to have a 30-foot cross out there telling everybody we believe in Jesus if we're not going to show it. If we're not going to live our life in front of our family, in front of people we work with, in front of our neighbors, as though we actually love Jesus and he did something for us. So for us to be on mission, we're going to show the love of Jesus. But then in our mission, it says that we will show the love of Jesus to people who know him and don't know him. These two categories. Categories of people that are in relationship with God and people that aren't in relationship with God. And that encapsulates all people that everybody falls inside one of those categories. We're going to love people that are in a close, intimate relationship with God. And hopefully that's you. You know, there's a lot of people that they're close with God. They got their arm around Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy, right? Like that we're close with him. We talk with him. He knows what's going on. We know what he said. We're in close relationships. So we're committed at Living Church to love you, to love people close to God, to love your children, to speak into you, to help you grow in your relationships. We're committed to love those people. But then we're committed to love the people who maybe just met Jesus. They still don't know everything that he said. They don't know what he promises them. They're baby Christians. 
And we're committed to love baby Christians. So if you're here and you hear us saying things, and you're like, I don't know, what is that story? Jonah and the who, right? Noah and the what, right? You don't know the stories. That's okay. We love you. We want to help teach you and develop you to know about who Jesus is. So we're committed to love people that are close, people that just know him. Then we're committed to people that have accepted the love of Jesus, but they're trapped in religion. And they think that their faith is based off of their works and their ability to be good enough, not based off of the grace that God has given them. Sometimes religious people are the hardest to love, right? But we're committed to love people that can be trapped in religion. And so we're going to love people who know God, but then there's this line of demarcation. We're going to love people that don't know God. We're going to love people that are farther away from him. We're going to love people who just haven't ever accepted his forgiveness. You know, I meet people all the time that don't know God loves them. It's heartbreaking that once they find out, wait, God loves me, he's not mad at me, he's not like a heavenly bad attitude police officer just looking to write me a heavenly ticket. No, God loves me. And once we explain how good God is, then they accept him. So we're committed to love those people. We're committed to love the people that are living in rebellion against what God says. People whose life is going in a direction away from God. They have addiction, they have hurt, they have pain, they have baggage. One of the reasons we're uh, committed to love those people is because that used to be me. I don't know about y'all, but that probably used to be you too. And so just because somebody looks like a mess today doesn't mean God doesn't have a purpose for their life. And so we're committed to love those people. And then we're committed to love the people that are in opposition to God. The people that say, I don't believe God's real. I'm mad at him. I hate him. People that are against God. Because even though they're against him, he's not against them. And so we're committed to love those people. So no matter where somebody falls on the spectrum, at Living Church, we're saying we're committed to show the love of Jesus to these people. First John 4, 8, it says this, whoever does, not love, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Whoever does not love does not know God. So many times there'll be people over here that think they're hugging Jesus, that he's his homeboy, but they don't love somebody down the line. And the Bible's saying that if you don't love them, you don't fully understand who this God is that you're hugging. And so we need to love the people that are around us in life. Jesus, he gives us example after example in the Bible of how he loves. You know, he died to be our savior, but he lived to be our example. He lived 33 years so we could look at what he did and take it as an example in our life. Jesus loved people that were broken and powerless. All throughout scripture, we see Jesus interacting with people that are broken. They have nothing to offer him. He, he, Jesus loves people that are lame and blind and deaf and mute. He loves them. He loves people that are already dead. He loves Lazarus. Lazarus was dead and stinking in the grave for four days, yet Jesus loved him. Jesus loved uh, the Roman centurion's daughter who had passed away. He had compassion on her, even though her father was someone who was doing something against what he was teaching. He loved her. Jesus loved the broken and powerless. He loved, he loved children. He said, let the little children come unto me. They had nothing to offer him. He loved women. Women in that day had no power in society, yet Jesus empowered them to do ministry because he loved them. And so even though they had nothing to offer him, he offered them everything he had. That's what we're committed to do. Jesus, he loved people that were sinners and separated. Remember? If you read any of the stories of the Bible, you remember that Jesus loved people that were full of sin and were separated from God. He loved the tax collectors. Tax collectors were evil people. He loved Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus was a wee little man? A wee little man was he? He went and ran up a sycamore tree. Jesus loved him anyways. And he went to his house to have a meal and to connect with him. Jesus loved people that were far. Jesus loved another tax collector whose name was Matthew. 
that became one of his disciples and wrote the first of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus loved him so much it changed his life. Jesus loved uh, the woman with the issue of blood. It was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. No doctor could help her. She was considered unclean, but Jesus loved her. Jesus loved the lepers. Lepers were people with a skin disease that they were afraid that were infectious, and so they would be kicked out of the society, and people would yell, unclean. But when Jesus saw a leper, the Bible says he reached out and he touched the leper to show how much he loved them. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. Right, I'm going old school, right? Jesus, he loved enough to reach out and touch somebody in their mess. Jesus loved the Samaritan woman. He met a woman who was at a well one day drawing water, and the Bible says that she had had five husbands, and she was shacking up with a guy she wasn't married to. Yet Jesus showed love for her. Jesus loved the demon-possessed man. That's his only name. We don't know his real name. He's not the kind of guy you invite to your kid's birthday party, right? He's the demon-possessed guy. But yet Jesus loved him. He showed compassion for him. Jesus loved sinners. He loved uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery. There's a woman caught in the act, brought to Jesus, and Jesus says, let those of you without sin cast the first stone. He loved people with sin. Jesus, he loved the thief on the cross, that he's about to be crucified, or he is being crucified, and he looks over, and there's a thief that by trial was charged as guilty, and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, he loved Peter. Peter, his disciple, denied him three times, but yet Jesus loved him. Jesus showed love for people that were sinners and were separated, even though they had nothing to offer and they were far away. He took every step needed to be back in relationship with them. That's what we have to do. We have to be intentional about loving people around us. Jesus, he loved the elite and the religious. He loved the people in society that were elite. He didn't only love the down and outer, he loved the up and outer. He loved the person that was up in life but weren't in a right relationship with God, and he pursued them. He loved the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was selfish, but yet Jesus loved him. He loved Nicodemus, the Pharisee. He loved the Roman centurions that were crucifying him. Jesus, he loved Saul. Saul was like Dog the Bounty Hunter of the day, killing and persecuting Christians. Yet Jesus loved him. And in any one of those cases, I just told you 20 stories. Reference 20 stories of how Jesus showed love for people. And I could build a case off of any one of those stories about how powerful Jesus' love is. But Jesus had one interaction with a lawyer. And the lawyer starts asking him questions, and so Jesus builds a case for himself. That interaction is in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and it says this. One day, an expert in religious law, that means he's a lawyer, he's an expert in the law of religion. It says this religious, of religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. People ask Jesus this question all throughout his life. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So in that day, to be a religious leader, you would have had to memorize the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. I can't hardly read through all of Leviticus, but these dudes had it memorized, right? These guys understand the law. And so Jesus says, well, what do you read? What do you think? And the guy says, well, you've got to love God with everything. Every moment of life, you have to love God, which I would question, is that even possible? 
Like I look at my life and I look at moments that I'm selfish and I do what I want to do. And in those moments, I'm not loving God, I'm loving me. So the, the Pharisee here is saying that he gets to heaven through his works, not through faith, but I don't got time to really preach about that. And so he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. So Jesus is saying, if you can be perfect, which nobody can, then you're going to make it in to heaven. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? The guy wants to justify his actions. He wants to justify the things that he's done. What he wants to do is he wants to have reason to not love a certain group of people. He wants to say, you know what, I'm okay with loving these people, but I want a justifiable excuse for not loving those people. He wants to loophole. Isn't that what lawyers do? They live in loopholes, right? They want to find a loophole to get somebody out of something or get into a situation. But the truth is, is that love has no loophole. Love has no loophole. And what Jesus tells him is a story to help him understand how love has no loopholes. And Christians this morning, can I tell you, Love has no loopholes. But many times we look at people and we look at their sin, we say, yeah, yeah, but they're a sinner. Jesus would say, love has no loopholes. Yeah, but they're addicted. Love has no loopholes. Yeah, but they think different than me. Love has no loopholes. Yeah, but they look different than me. Love has no loopholes. Yeah, but they voted different than me. Love has no loopholes. Right, just because we don't fully understand people or they have a different background or a different skin color or a different life experience than, they, than we do doesn't mean that we can separate them from the love of God. Love, it has no loopholes, and so neither should we. We need to love the people that are around us. And so the guy, he says to Jesus, uh, he says, and Jesus, who is my neighbor? He asked him this question. I love Jesus' response in verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. He's like, I'm not even going to answer your question. Let me just tell you a story. Jesus replied with a story, and he says, a Jewish man, so the lawyer would have been Jewish, so he's now relating to this guy. He would be considered his neighbor. He says, uh, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. So this guy is on a journey, and he gets jumped. He gets mugged, He's beaten, he's left bloody, he's in a hopeless situation. Ever been there? Life beat you up, something beat you up, and you don't know how to get yourself out of it? Jesus goes on and he says, by chance, a priest came along, a pastor, a priest. And that day, someone who would stand in the presence of God, someone who is holy and knew all the law. And when Jesus was telling this story, he's in a room surrounded by priests. And I like to think that when Jesus said it, he says, by chance, a priest walks by. And he points to the priest in the room. And he says, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. So the priest didn't help. Then it says a temple assistant. A lot of translations would tell us that he's a Levite. A Levite, a temple assistant, is someone who would work in the church. So if it were written today, it would say, and then by chance, a person on the worship team walked by. A person who was a greeter or an usher Someone who helped in children's ministry walked by. Somebody who showed up one year at Rock and Forth and put on a t-shirt and helped at a bounce house walked by, right? Somebody who went to living church walked by, and then look at what it says. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. 
there are two people that walk past this man that should have been his neighbor. But they don't look past the problem and see the person. All they can see is the problem. All they can see is the mess. And they step over him and they don't help. Have you ever been in a hard situation of life and you're shocked at the people that don't come to help you? The people that were supposed to love you and the people that said, I got your back, bro, they don't show up when you're really hurting. And so Jesus is saying, don't be like that. You've got to step in. You've got to show up when someone is hurting. So then in verse 33, it says, then a despised Samaritan came along. Remember, they're all Jewish. The guy who got beat up, the, the Levite, the priest, they're all Jewish. They all should be considered neighbors. But then a Samaritan comes by. And that, that you know, we know the story as the good Samaritan. But the idea of a good Samaritan that day was kind of an oxymoron because they didn't like Samaritans. The people, they, they butted heads with each other. Jesus had an interaction one time and some people called him a Samaritan. It was like a cut down. They're cutting him down by calling him this lesser class of people. Uh, Jesus met with a Samaritan woman at the well and she said to Jesus, why are you talking to me? Your people don't associate with my kind. So this is a despised Samaritan is what it says. Then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man that had been beat it up, beat it up he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. He had compassion on someone. The Samaritan, who was very different than the Jewish traveler, had compassion on him. He saw past the problem and into the person. That's what we have to do, Living Church. When people walk through these doors full of problems, we can't look at the fact that they're bleeding and they're broke and they're laying on the side of the road of life and look at them and just walk by them. But we have to love them enough to have some compassion on their situation. You see, to love like Jesus, you have to see beyond the person that's your neighbor. <laughs> it's easy to love people just like you. That's super easy. But to love like Jesus, we have to love people that aren't exactly like us. We have to push beyond that. And, you know, as you look at the story, there's something amazing that happens. The Jewish guy has been beaten. He's laying there bleeding. And he could have turned to the Samaritan and said, I don't want help from your kind. And I think that sometimes in our life, we're praying for something. We're the guy beaten up in life. We're praying for something. And we're asking God to answer us. And God is sending a provision in a person who we normally wouldn't associate with. And if we could get over our bigotry, we could have provision that God has for us. But we're so caught up in our bigotry that we can't allow God's blessing to come into our life. And so when we can get over these boundaries that separate us, then we can step into great things and we can receive all that God has for us. Because love is a gift you give and a gift you have to be willing to receive. So the lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how do I find eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what's the Bible say? The guy says, love God and love people. Jesus says, that's right. And then the guy says, well, who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells him the story. And then it says this. So Jesus stops telling the story and now he brings it into practical application. And he says, now, which of these three the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, probably with his head down defeated, he said, 
the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy, he's the guy that was neighbor. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now go and do the same. Now Jesus said, now go and do the same to a lawyer and to a room full of priests and a room full of Levites and maybe some Samaritans standing around the back listening. But Jesus says the same thing to Living Church this morning. He says, now Living Church, go and do the same. Go and love people that don't look like you. Go and love people that are broken. Go and love people that you don't understand why they do what they do and love them anyways. Our mission is to show the love of Jesus to people who know him and people who don't know him. And when we do that, we're fulfilling our purpose in the earth, that we have to love all people. Love, it'll change your mind. Love will help you go the extra mile. Love will help you forgive somebody who never asked for forgiveness. Love will help you loan somebody money who when you loaned them money last time, they blew it, right? Love will help you love your family. Love will help you forgive people. Love will help you see past differences. So the question is, what love loophole do you need to close? Like, what's the loophole in you that you would say, man, I love this person, this person, this person, but they're not my neighbor, Well, we have to close those loopholes and realize that love needs to flow through us because we will be a church that loves people. Amen? We will be a church that loves people. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. We will love people. Whether they're rich or they're poor, we'll love them. Whether they're Republican or Democrat, we will love them. Whether they're saint or sinner, we will love them. If they're a rich guy who tithes, we'll love them. If they're a broke dude who steals, we'll love them. If they're a little old church lady, we'll love them. If they're a girl who just got off the stripper pole Saturday night, we're going to still love her too. And we're going to see past the problems and into the person and say, we love you. It's okay. Come into relationship with Jesus. That's what we are called to do. Romans 8, 35, it says this, who, man, who shall separate us? Us means people, mankind. Who shall separate people from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword? I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. But many times, the church is the place that tries to separate people from God. They come into a church and they interact with one of these religious people who looks at their problems and they say, you can't be in a relationship with God because you're too dirty. You don't have to get cleaned up to go to God, but you go to God to get cleaned up. That when you're in relationship with God, then you have the opportunity to have some life change happen. We have to look past people. We have to look past the problems people have and love them. You know, I, I, I could stop the sermon there. It was already good. You're clapping. You're excited. You're with me, right? I could stop the sermon on love. But the Bible tells us that there's something else that we have to do that is connected to love. Because it's not just enough to love and not just enough to accept. Because our heart is that people wouldn't stay down in the ditch bleeding, broken in life, not making it where they're supposed to go, but that we would help pick them up, bandage them up, clean the dirt off, clean the things that are separating them from their purpose so they can step into everything that God has for them. You see, love, here it is, love doesn't mean a reduction of truth. Doesn't mean a reduction of truth. So we have to love people, but speak truth. 
Just because we love someone doesn't mean that we aren't honest about the fact that they're in a ditch and bleeding and having some problems going on. The man didn't look at him and say, oh, hey, sorry, bro. Looks like you're having a bad, bad time. I love you. No, what, is he, what did he do? He cleaned him off. He poured some wine on his wounds, which probably burned. It probably hurt a little bit. He picked him up. He put him on his donkey, and he helped him get somewhere he couldn't get on his own. And so when people come in that are broken and hurting and have pain and sin and junk in their life, we're going to love them. And then we're going to be honest with them and tell them the truth of what the Word of God says, that maybe the decisions they're making aren't good. I love you, but you've got to make some changes. We're going to show love and we're going to speak truth to people. See, truth is only possible. True love is only possible with full truth. Truth is a prerequisite of love. If Rachel and I went uh, clothes shopping, if she took me to the mall and she said, Tristan, you need to buy some new clothes. And so I go in there and I pick out a shirt that I like. So I take the shirt and I go into the dressing room and I put the dressing room on and I look at myself in the mirror and I think, man, you looking good, right? And so I have the shirt on and I come out and Rachel sees me and Rachel thinks to herself, that shirt doesn't look good. That shirt doesn't fit him well. That shirt doesn't compliment him. That shirt is built for a different body type, right? And so I have this shirt on. I think I look good, right? I still think I'm skinny like I was in high school, right? And so she sees me and she said, what's love? Is love for her to tell me, no, it looks great and let me walk around looking like a fool? Or is love to tell me the truth? Love is to tell me the truth. Love is to say, hey, that thing that you're wearing, it doesn't fit you. You, you, you can look better than that. You can have something greater than that. And in the church, what we have to do is we have to love the person, but talk about the thing that they're wearing, how it doesn't fit them. That God has something much better than that. We have to speak truth in love. So when I say that we're going to love, I'm not talking about watering down the gospel. I'm talking about giving the full gospel, but with the heart of love. We're going to speak love in truth. About a year ago, a family here at Living Church uh, had been talking to Rachel and I about how they had a son who was in his 20s that had fallen away from the Lord and gotten addicted to drugs. And this guy's strung out on drugs. He's far away from the Lord. Mom and dad are over here hugging Jesus, brokenhearted about their son. And they're inviting him. They're trying to get him. They're telling him about series that we're preaching. They're doing everything they can to get this guy to church. He won't come. So mom talks to me, and uh, I said, hey, I have an idea. Mother's Day is coming up, and moms, you have some major muscle on Mother's Day. Like, you can get your kids to do anything. You'd be like, do 50 push-ups, and they're like, okay, they're going to do it, right? And so I said, tell them what you want for Mother's Day is I want you to come to church. And so mom, she starts turning the screws for like a month. And so finally Mother's Day gets here, and I'm in the lobby, and in walks mom and dad, and in walks their son. And he looks like he's strung out on drugs. He looks like he's far away from the Lord. He walks in this place like he's about to get struck by lightning. And would have it been a good approach for me to walk up to him and say, hey, man, nice to meet you. My name's uh, Pastor Trustin. Your mom and dad told me that you're on drugs and drugs are going to send you to hell. <laughs> would have that been an approach? No. Now, are drugs bad for you? Yes. Do they cause you to do things that gets you into sin so you're now removed from your relationship with God? Yes. But that's not a very good approach. So what we have to do is we have to love and we have to let them know we care about you even though you've got some problems on you and then we're going to help clean some of those things up. We're going to help work some of those things through. But for some reason in the church, there are certain sins and certain things that we don't understand that we think what we have to do is run to the person and say, sin. We think that if a homosexual walks through the doors of the church, we have to look at them and we have to say, sin. But what we have to do is realize we have to see through the problem because it is sin. 
We have to see through the problem and into the person and love them so they can have restoration. Because God has a plan for them. We just have to help clean them up. It's okay, I'm touching some hot buttons. That's okay. And so we have to love people enough to speak truth to them. Ephesians chapter four, uh, man, it's so good. Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, has one of my favorite portions of scripture in it. So I I don't have time to read the whole chapter, but I'm gonna summarize it to explain the power of verse 15. It says this in chapter one. It says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Remember, we all have a calling. We all have a purpose that we're pursuing, that we're running towards. This is, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. So when you see somebody who's different than you and you don't understand, be humble and gentle. Be patient with them. Listen, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I don't understand why someone gets strung out on drugs. I've never done that. But yet there are sins that I have been addicted to and there are things that have pulled me down in my life. So I have to look at those things and I have to have love for them even though I don't always understand it. And so we have to have grace for people as they come in. And then Paul goes on and he, Max, if you could help me out. And then he goes on and he talks about how, uh, how God has given gifts to the church. And he talks about how God has given the gifts of apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors and these people to come in and they're a blessing to the church. So he tells the church to love, see through problems and love. I've given you these gifts. Why have I given you pastors and teachers? So that they'll equip the saints. So that we'll take the word of God and chew it up and make it digestible so that people can understand what God is saying. And the reason that's important is he goes on and he says so that the church can be mature. And our heart here at Living Church is we would have a mature church so that you guys would understand what God is teaching and know the truth of the Bible so that you wouldn't be immature. And then he talks about, because if you're not mature, you're gonna be swayed by the blowing of the wind. And when culture starts to say something is okay, or culture starts to say something isn't okay, you won't be swayed by the teaching of media or swayed by the teaching of some other person, but you'll be founded in truth. With me? Okay, so this is what he's talking about in Ephesians 4, and then it says this in verse 15, so good. Instead, instead of being blown around, it says, speaking the truth in love. So to be mature, you have to speak the truth in love. It says, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body, body of church, the mature body of him who is the head, and that is Christ. So we have to speak the truth in love. See the three pieces? Speak the truth in love in love. And it's not enough just to do one without the other, but they have to be in combination. That as we're up here talking about how we're going to love people, as much as we love people, we have to speak truth to people. But we can't speak truth without love, and we can't love without truth, or else we're not a mature church. We're, we're, we're missing a major piece. And so, you know, I, I'm a very visual person, so I love to have visual illustrations for you guys. And so, this is us. This pipe is us. The Bible says that uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, that it flows out of us. So what we say, it flows out of us. A pipe, all it does is help things flow from one place to another. It's a conduit, right? All of you, you have a hot water heater in your garage, and then you turn on your shower, 
and then the water flows through a pipe. This is how it works if you don't know. And water flows through a pipe from the hot water heater and now you magically have hot water heater in your hot water in your shower. It flows through a pipe. Okay. And so what the Bible tells us is that we're a conduit of what God does. So God does something in the church. He does something here and he expects it to flow out. Right? Or else we would be stagnant, but I don't got time to go there. We would be stagnant if we're not flowing out. So God flows in and then he flows out. He does this corporally as a church and he does this personally in your life. But the Bible says there's three parts. There's what we speak, but then we also have to realize that we need two different inlets. We need, we, we need, we need to receive something from more than one place. And what those things are called is love and truth. And when we have love and truth flowing into us, we now have something that is worth giving to the world. But if all we do is have love, it's not enough. If all we do is have truth, it's not enough. Because you see, what some people do <laughs> is they cap it. Some people, because of their opinions or their upbringing or their experience, they would say, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna cap off my love. And all I'm gonna do is preach truth. Have you ever been in downtown Dallas or Fort Worth somewhere and a street preacher came up to you? And they're saying stuff. They're saying, repent, for the day of the Lord is near. You're going to go to hell, sinner. Really, that's in the Bible. Is appointed unto all men once to die and after that the judgment. So all of us are going to die and all of us are going to face judgment. That is in the Bible. But they have their love capped. And all they're doing is down there screaming truth. And what it does is it turns people away from God. And so if they would have truth and uncap their love, oh, I put my cap on too strong, and uncap their love, then God would be able to flow through them in a great way. But sometimes what we do is churches can cap their truth. And they can be so loving that they become accepting of the problems that are destroying people. And we look at them broken, bleeding, but we don't have any authority or confidence to speak the truth. What I've found in my life, when people won't speak truth, the reason they don't speak truth is because they're more worried about what the person thinks of them than giving the truth the person needs. We're too concerned with, oh, what if they get upset at me if I say this? And so what we have to do is take off the cap and we start speaking love and showing love. And when we show love, it then gives you the capacity to then share some truth. So, you know, I had to put in a French drain at my house and a French drain, you put in this long pipe and the pipe has all these holes in it and your goal is to get all the water from the whole yard to come down to the pipe. Well, I didn't want to buy a 20-foot piece of pipe and the illustration would be a little overboard. So what we have to do for our love is create a funnel. We have to be intentional to have a funnel in our love to have as much love in us as we can and to love people that we don't understand. But then our truth, we have to be very careful for our truth to filter it. Or else we're going to get truth in us that isn't truth. And so we have to put the Word of God on and say, through the Word of God, I'm going to filter the truth and see what's real. And when we put a funnel on our love and a filter on our truth, then what comes out can change the world. Then what comes out can make a difference in people's lives. And so this is who we're supposed to be. But remember, our, our heart of living church is that we would show the love. So we're supposed to show and speak. So we have two inlets. And that means that we also have to have two outlets and that we would have two places in us that we would show it first, that we would show love first, that we would show truth 
first. And then after you show it, you then have the ability to speak it. But see, sometimes people, they won't show it and all they do is speak it. And when you don't show it, you don't know that, you're, that they love you. Man, it's so good. It's, people don't know you love them until you show them that you love them. And so we have to show people how much we love them and then we can speak the truth to them and then their life is changed, y'all. This is what we're called to do. We're called to love people past their problems. We're called to love people through their hurt. We're called to love people through things we don't understand. And we're called to speak truth with grace and understanding that we're not perfect either. And so how dare we judge somebody without loving them first? That's what we're called to do, is to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. The good news, the gospel isn't bad news, it's good news. Speaking the truth in love. At Living Church, this is us. We will speak the truth in love. And when we do that, people's lives are changed. You got it? Now it's time to do it. It's time to go back to work, time to go back to school, time to live your life and remember that you've got to allow it to flow in and flow out the same way and watch God do the miraculous in your life. Before we leave this morning, I've got to believe that there may be somebody here who heard me talking about how much God loves you and heard me talking about that God cares about you and no matter where you are and how far you feel from him, that he passionately loves you. And can I tell you, it's the truth. That's the truth. God's not mad at you, God loves you. And he wants to come and help pick you up, clean you off, and pay for the debts that you couldn't pay. Remember the Good Samaritan, he paid some money? Jesus paid the price for us all. He took on the sins of the world, he paid our price so that we could find healing. And so if you would all across this room, close your eyes and bow your heads. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I'm far away from God. I haven't asked him to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I want to give you that opportunity today. I'm simply going to ask that you raise your hand and look up at me. And we're just going to pray a prayer where you just say, God, forgive me my sins and come into my heart. And the Bible says that God is faithful and just, and he will forgive you of every sin you've ever committed and that you will be welcomed into his presence. No matter how many steps you've taken away from God, it's only one step back. So on the count of three, just raise your hand and we're going to pray with you. And the church is going to celebrate for the decision you made. If that's you, one, two, three. Raise it up. That's you. Yep. I see this hand. I see his hands all over the room. Anybody else? Yep. I see right over here. Anybody else would say, today's my day. Yep. I see you. Oh, I see you over on this side. I see you, man. Anybody else? Five, six people. Living Church, would you pray with me and those that raise their hand? Everyone just say this prayer out loud. Say, dear God, forgive me my sin and come into my heart. From this day forward, I'm going to live for you. The things I've done in the past are in the past. But today, I'm new. I love you, Lord. Amen. Can we give those people a hand this morning for the decision that they made? It's so good.